I think it's so important that the key message you said is, I'm, I'm not saying hire us, but you need a coach. Somebody's got to be able to give you the ability to see the things that you can't see yourself. The other coaches that you talked about saw those things. They just had a different way of helping you get there. And so that's the key. You, you just don't, lawyers specifically in law school aren't taught the necessary skill sets to be able to diagnose a small business the way that is required just because you don't have those glasses on. And so having somebody else that has those glasses, I think is important. Do you agree with that? It's not only that I agree with it. Look, my dad was a PE teacher. My mom was a housewife. Okay. I never took a business law class until I was in law school. Business acumen was not in my DNA in any way, shape or form. So I was the guy that hung up a shingle. I got my yellow page ad. I did the things that I was told to do to be successful. I had a very consistent business as a solo practitioner and criminal law generating usually right around 300 to $325,000 a year for the better part of 10 years. It was very consistent. I was okay, but I knew that I'd have to change if I wanted to, as I said, either sell my practice or something. I needed to do something. And when I latched on to you guys, it was a mechanism that I could use to grow. And actually in the interim years, I feel like I've gotten a doctorate in business <laughs> just by going through the process. So yeah, it, it, there's a difference between being told I'll take care of the problem and I'll teach you to take care of the problem. And I'm always somebody who wants to grow and you guys have given me the tools to do that. Hey, law firm owners, welcome to the Your Practice Mastered podcast. We're your hosts. I'm MPS. And I'm Richard James. And MPS today, we've got a great show. I know I say that a lot, but at the end of the day, uh, our guest today, Howard Snyder, has been with us in our world for a number of years. Now he's been a captain for a number of years. And quite frankly, I, it's somebody I consider a friend. And his journey is one I think is going to be very telling for those who might be listening out there, just because he's had what I consider a fairly normal entrepreneurial journey. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Welcome to the crowd today, Howard. Michael, Richard, thank you for having me on board. I can't wait to have this discussion with you guys. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. And I think, yes, there's going to be a lot of valuable and actionable insights from today. But Howard, one of the things we do on this podcast is we kick things off with a little bit of an icebreaker. So what's maybe something that not everybody knows about you? Let's see. Something that everybody doesn't know about me. I refereed high school sports. Actually, I refereed even before I was in high school. Started at about age 17 with my dad doing Pop Warner football and youth league basketball. So I'm in high school and I'm calling fouls on little six and seven year olds. And when I got into high school, I was able to work high school football and I worked high school football until 29 years passed and three knee tears and I had to hang it up. And I do miss being out there on Friday nights. I was the youngest guy in the state wearing a white hat with my own crew. And it was fun while it lasted and I just got to back off now. No, no dreams of, there was no the dream of being a Hockley at one point? I met with Mr. Hockley on several occasions because he's an attorney here in town like I am and bumped into him at a couple of bar functions. Talked to him a little bit about, you know, working in the NFL. I tried to do the uh, junior college route way back when, but I saw the time sink that was into it and I just didn't have the time and energy to put into it. And quite frankly, near the end of my officiating career, Going back, and now that we had game film, we had five-man crews, 
And I took my job seriously. So a lot of guys just go out there on Friday night and, and, and do their thing. I'm a perfectionist like many of your people in the audience would be. And I was responsible for the crew meetings. So I'd go through and dissect the film, reach out to the ADs, reach out to the coaches every week for 16 weeks. And that was a huge time sink. My, the guys on my crew didn't realize how much time I put in until I blew my knee out the first time. And one of them had to step up and do it. And they couldn't keep up with that. So it's a lot of work. It was fun, but a lot of work. Yeah, it's a hobby that requires an immense amount of time. It's kind of like Absolutely. golf. It, it, not the same as golf for sure, but golf is a big time sink. You know, you decide you're going to play golf one day. It's, you know, five to six hours of your life gone. So totally. you better be prepared to fill that time up somewhere else. So, yeah, I, I totally get it. Michael, where do you want to go from here? Yeah, I mean, I, I you said it best when you were introing Howard, which is I think you've got a very good entrepreneurial journey as a law firm owner. So, Howard, why don't you walk us through at least the highlights of your journey as an entrepreneurial attorney? Well, it's almost how I fell into this world with you guys, because at some point, if you want to get good at something, you need a coach. And even before I met you guys, I found what I believed to be a coach and a business coach. And he took a look at my business and said, hey, you got these problems. And if you hire me, I'll do these things and get you fixed. And after about two years, I didn't lose any money, but I didn't make any extra money. And I said, you know what? I'm not where I want to be. I, my, my ultimate goal was to either retire with some kind of evergreen dollars coming in uh, be a consultant, get some money back some way, or to partner up and share in my practice. So the first guy didn't do it, found a second coach. And with the second coach, he said, you know, you got these problems. And if you hire me, we'll get them fixed. What was amazing, it was the same problems. Okay. So I learned from my first experience. So I got rid of this guy a little after a year. Okay. Same thing. Didn't make any money, didn't lose any money. It was a break even. And then my accountant of all things, and Rich knows the story. Rich wrote a book called Acres of Diamonds. And my accountant in one tax year said, hey, here's a book for you. Now, the book is a little tiny paperback book. It takes about 20 minutes to read at max. And it literally sat in my briefcase until I went back the next year. And I said, hey, can I mark this up? Keep in mind, I never opened the book. Okay. He said, sure, it's your book. Go ahead and mark it up. So I finally read the book realized that at the time Richard was based in Phoenix. At the time, two of the three attorneys that were profiled were people that I knew. And I called up and Rich takes a look at my business and says, hey, you got these problems, but I'm gonna teach you how to fix it. And that was the real difference. Instead of paying somebody else to take care of my problems, Rich is by nature just a wonderful teacher i think you learn from the best and in the years i what is it nine years now ten yeah. I, I lost track but in that time i learned how to fix my problems and i built a very successful practice i crashed a successful practice and i'm still learning and dealing with things as i'm moving forward Let's focus on the success part because I, I and, and I think there's a lot of lessons to learn from the downside. Michael probably asked that question at some point, but you mentioned it, Howard. By the way, thanks for the kudos. And of course, this isn't promotional for us at all. This is, we're, we're speaking to that person who is 
the attorney who's sitting, maybe listening to this at two o'clock in the morning because they just got done wrapping up work just enough to get payroll out the door and close up a case that they're working on, regardless of their practice area. And they're going, man, what did I get myself into? Oh, and okay. I mean, so, that was me. I mean, that, that, that's where I was. Yeah. And get that's, it. yeah. And so that for me, I think it's so important that the key message you said is, I'm, I'm not saying hire us. But you need a coach like somebody's got to be able to give you the ability to see the things that you can't see yourself. The other coaches that you talked about saw those things. They just had a different way of helping you get there. And so that's the key. You, you just don't lawyers specifically in law school aren't taught the necessary skill sets to be able to diagnose a small business the way that is required just because you don't have those glasses on. Right. And so having somebody else that has those glasses, I think, is important. Do you agree with that? I, it's not only that I agree with it. Look, my dad was a PE teacher. My mom was a housewife. Okay. I never took a business law class until I was in law school. Business acumen was not in my DNA in any way, shape or form. So I was the guy that hung up a shingle. I got my yellow page ad. I did the things that I was told to do to be successful. I had a very consistent business as a solo practitioner and criminal law generating usually right around 300 to $325,000 a year for the better part of 10 years. It was very consistent. I was okay, but I knew that I'd have to change if I wanted to, as I said, either sell my practice or so I needed to do something. Mm -hmm. And when I latched on to you guys, it was a mechanism that I could use to grow. And actually in, in the interim years, I feel like I've gotten a doctorate in business just by going through the process. So yeah, it, you know, there's a difference between being told I'll take care of the problem and I'll teach you to take care of the problem. And I'm always somebody who wants to grow and you guys have given me the tools to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, pre I appreciate that. At the end of the day, I, I, I accept the awards or the kudos or whatever, but you had to do the work. And so Absolutely. you get the reward for, for putting in that work to get that doctorate. And that warms my heart to know that you now have the knowledge that you can take this and literally do run any business, really, quite frankly, in the world with the knowledge that you have. And so that's awesome to me. I, I so firmly you, believe that also. Yeah, yeah, that's what my entire, that's what my goal was the entire time. And now that my son is in the business, my goal, my gosh, he's unfortunately or unfortunately for him, he's heard this from a very early age. So, you know, as long as he said he wanted to be an entrepreneur, my goal was to try to get it so he could stand on his own two feet too. And and now he has. So with you, Howard, the re one of the success stories I thought was great is I, I remember, you know, when you first came in, here's a, I, I'm going to let you answer this question. What was the first thing you remember fixing? Like, so if you got it, so you got a, somebody who's listening to this, they're, they sound just like you, they, they feel like you, they're like, that's me. What was the first thing you, re, do you remember fixing about your business that made a marked difference in how many new clients you were getting? Two things, actually three things, if you, the way you phrase it. It's your show. So you rock keep, keep in mind, I was a sole practitioner, literally in the office by myself, no legal assistant, no nothing. And I was able to maintain that level of practice, okay? Number one, I got tired of those phone calls in the middle of the night. And the first thing I did was fix my phones. I got somebody to answer my phones for me so I didn't get those cold calls all day long. And what a stress relief that I didn't talk to salespeople. And what a stress relief and I didn't have to worry about goofy calls in the middle of the night. Mm. The second thing was 
you telling me to get a PL. And I said, what the heck is that? <laughs> Seriously, because I, I had no idea what it was. And so I went out and got a bookkeeper and got a PL done. And the story I told from stage years ago was with the PL, I saved. I was able to cut enough dollars off the top to literally pay for the program. So just in the savings of money, I was bleeding money and didn't realize it because I'd never done a PL. So fix the phones, do the PL. And then the third thing, which I'm forgetting about, because you said, what else did you do? It's okay. Th those are I two big remember. ones. Yep, those are two yeah, big yeah. ones. Yep. Well, Powerful those come under the title. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Michael, th those come under the title, Michael, of sell your way to success and save your way to solvency, right? Literally the epitome of it right there. <laughs> yes. No, I, I think those are two super big keys. And I mean, as you know, Howard, we meet with a lot of law firms that haven't necessarily got those down and their phone's still ringing all day. They get the calls in the middle of the night. They're the one at the first line of defense. And it's a time suck too. Never mind the calls in the middle of the night, but during the day. The real issue though is you've got to take a leap of faith and you got to change your paradigm and understand you don't have to be the one that answers the call to still get the business, you know, to bring in the business, to bring in the leads. That's That was the third thing, Rich, was I remember you telling me stop prejudging potential clients and just set them mm -hmm. all for appointments. Right. And I started doing that. And what was amazing is the fact that one third of the people that I would have rejected ended up hiring me on some level. So I got rid of the prejudgment and got them on board. That's I, huge. That could be a wrap right there. I mean, <laughs> I, th I mean that you, you could literally like stop. They could stop listening. Just go do those three things and stuff is going to happen for them. Right. So they could do those three things, but there's ways to do it better. And True. that's where a coach comes True. in. Play. So Fair yeah, enough. no, I, but I think that's a great point. And, and you're right, Howard, the idea of filtering beforehand can be I understand it, right? We want to work with people that we think are going to be a good mesh and a good fit for the firm, but it can also be really detrimental to your growth because now we go from this hat of looking at every lead as an opportunity to yeah. filtering every lead and having to figure out if they're going to be a good opportunity. And those are two wildly different approaches. So I think Absolutely. that's a very good point. Now, we don't obviously... The, entrepreneurial journey has highs and lows. And, and I want to come back to the high, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't go through, what would you say on this journey was a down point and, and what's something you took out of that? The down point hit me and it was just before COVID, but I grew so fast. I hired for the growth. Rich warned me when he saw it coming and I said, no, I'll be okay. But the bottom line is I didn't know how to be a better business leader, a business owner. And I did not terminate my employees. I, I was afraid to terminate employees that were not doing anything wrong. That's the bottom line. And my payroll got out of hand and it got out of hand and I came out of my own pocket to keep it alive. And I kept telling myself it would change and it just didn't change. It had plateaued. I had built up, I built the practice to a point where it could maintain a certain level. And I thought I needed all of these employees to keep that level at the same pace. No, I needed all those employees to get me there. And then I could have started chopping some folks. And I wasn't a aware enough business owner to terminate good people for no reason. And that was really hard. 
Now I don't have a problem. <laughs> but you know, what, but you know what, Howard, it really is hard. I mean, it, it just is hard, right? So this is interesting. You know, there's a lot of professional service practitioners out there. Like, let's look at three that compare dentists, chiropractors, financial planners, and let's throw a fourth in accountants, right? In, in almost every one of those instances, they get a customer or sorry, they get a sale to make a customer, right? So that customer or that client is their client for life. Like they, they make, they, maybe that maybe it was worth a thousand dollars or $2,000 or $3,000 this year, but then it's probably worth a thousand dollars or $2,000 next year. But right. most law firms, not all, but most law firms usually do business with a single client once, maybe twice, depending on right. what kind of practice area they're in. But it's that one-time deal, which theoretically means for most law firm owners, certainly the retail law firm owners who have, you know, PI, criminal, bankruptcy, immigration, estate planning, you know, so on and so forth. Those firms theoretically wake up broke every morning. Not literally, because you have your payment plans that are coming, right? But mm -hmm. if you don't get new business today, at some point in the future, that's going to affect cash flow. And so the problem is... When if you have a business that builds and every client has an annual client value, you and you have overhead that's static, well, you can pretty much, unless there's a macroeconomic event, count on your overhead being okay. But in your world, if for whatever reason there's a dip and you built your set your salary base on say a hundred or hundred twenty thousand dollar uh, type yep. firm, and one month you have an eighty thousand dollar month. Well, holy crap, that's a $40,000 shortfall, right? And it just means that's got to come from somewhere. And if there's not cash reserve, it comes from the owner's pocket. And it's so easy to go, well, hey, we did 100 here. We did, sure, we occasionally have seasons. And you could rationalize it. It's so easy to rationalize. You've lived through it, right? So I'm speaking to that owner that's listening to this, that they're having great months and they're having a great quarter. Maybe they had a great year. It's hard to recognize when a new cycle has started, something broke, a website broke, a lead source broke, a macroeconomics broke. It doesn't matter. Something broke. And when that happens, as quickly as we can, we have to try to reduce expenses. Otherwise, the firm gets upside down. And that's, that's what happened to you in that, in that span, yeah. right? And you say, I saw it coming. Well, that's easy for me to see. I'm looking over your shoulder. I, I'm not running your firm. Right. I was able to go, hey, Howard, here's what's coming. But you're the one that had to live it. And I've said this to you before. I have the T-shirt because my coaches and consultants back years and years and, you know, take me back 20, 25 years. And when I was going through this kind of thing, they warned me of the same thing and I didn't see it either. And so I have the T-shirt. I have hired more employees than I can handle. I have had overhead that was out of control. I had to go into debt because I didn't see the downside coming. So I I don't, you know, I know you don't feel great about that cycle of your life that you went through, but on the other side of it, you, you, I think this is what gave you your doctorate degree in running a business. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, you always learn more by screwing up. So you, <laughs> as long as you, as long as you take those mistakes and you don't repeat them, you're going to be in a better place. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm not going to be repeating those mistakes. So it's, yeah. it's a real simple, the, the math equation is real easy. Don't do it again. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's been a hell of a journey for all these years, but it's not a journey that I would have passed up. You know, I just wish I was 20 years younger when I started.
So, you know, I'm look, I'm turning 62. And how you were going through how you really wouldn't have changed that time of your life, even though there was a difficult point, it, it allowed you to continue to learn from it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my dad, like I said, was a CE teacher. I've always been in a family of teachers and learning is, it's an ongoing process. And every, I mean, the self-improvement, it's amazing. The books I started reading nine, 10 years ago have a different meaning now. Mm-hmm. So you start, you're at different places along the journey as you read the information. You know, things that you told me 10 years ago didn't make sense. Now I'm the one able to tell the other people in EA Nation that this is how it goes. Yeah. And, you know, so you're, what I love about your coaching style and your practice mastered is it really meets you where you are. It diagnoses where the problems are, where you are. And you guys have already developed the tools to jump in at that point and move forward. So that you can't have it any better than that, but you got to be the one to sit down and say, yep, I don't know what to do. I need your help. And as soon as you ask, you guys are there. So that's the well, key. Hey, Michael, why don't we let the Howard relive some of the good and high notes? Yeah. yeah? What do you think? Exactly. Let, let, let's hit some of the, the, the high points because there's plenty of high points as well. So Howard, what would you say were some of your aha or breakthrough moments on your entrepreneurial journey? Honestly, being able to go to sleep at night, not worrying about the phones was an aha moment. Knowing that I hired my first employee as a phone person and she set all the appointments and her set rate was better than mine. Mm. That was an aha moment. Mm. Then the dollars in the bank, it was kind of nice to see six figures kind of sitting there for once and it was just there. That was nice. My year over year growth, I went from 300. If I remember the numbers, it was like three and a quarter to 580 or 620, somewhere in that ballpark to 770 and then 993. I couldn't get to that million, but I cracked a million the next year and I've been over a million ever since. So yeah, seeing those numbers go up every year, but it is kind of nice to see a million dollars in gross when, you know, years earlier it was 300,000. And of that million, I was able to pocket a whole bunch. A lot of that I've had to feed back into the business. That's been the downside. But those aha moments, seeing the bank go up and getting calls from other people. How are you doing this in our group and walking those people through the same process? Those are all aha moments. Those are, it's, it's nice to be the one who knows how to do it. It's nice to see the translation from this into other areas of my life, how to communicate with people better. I mean, we talk about the quote sales process, but that's just people to people conversation and being able to dial that in and be a better listener and things that I've learned along the way. It's self-improvement, you know, times 10. So it's, it, it, those are all aha moments. It's not where I was when I started. It's where I'm at now and I'm still learning. Hey, Howard, how about, so you made it as a lawyer. You, you, obviously you came from two, you know, middle-class parents that were yep. teachers, right? And, and that idea that you went on to law school and you became a lawyer and you achieved that success. And there was a feeling there. And of course you achieved success as a referee as well. But to go from not knowing anything about running a business to then at that moment where you felt like you looked in the bank and you're like, oh my gosh, this worked. How, like, how did that feel? How good did it feel to feel like you accomplished small business ownership? 
I had that three-year run where everything was just, I didn't have to go to court anymore. I had the staff to go to court. You know, I was off the hamster wheel. I didn't have to follow anybody else's calendar. That was a great feeling trying to get back there. But the bottom line is that that gave, look, I'm as I got my first two-week vacation ever by jumping into this, you know, just jumping feet first and doing what I had to do. And I had that two-week vacation. I disconnected from the office, took a cruise, disconnected from the internet for a week of that. And even the other week, I wasn't really checking on things, but for a week with no internet access, and I didn't care. So yeah, everything just kept on working. And that's because I had everything dialed in. Nice. So yeah, it, that, you know, it, I, to not, to go to sleep at night and not have to worry about stuff, it just makes the, the world spin a little bit nicer, a little bit faster, a little bit smoother. That's well put. Sure does. It's very sure well put. Does. And Howard, I can tell you from obviously having personal conversations with you, I know this next question, you, you've got a few right. different things, but I, I'm curious for you, what are some of your daily success habits? What are some things you do on a daily basis that contribute to the sustained success? It's a long list. You really want me to go into it? This is your um, show. <laughs> I think it's the reason you are who you are and you're successful the way you are. I, I agree. I, I think. Keeping in mind, I was not doing any of these things and the list has grown over the years. One thing I've learned, I've taken away from your friend Blaine Elkers and what he does and he was an acquired taste. I did not get him for over a year and a half. And now I'm a disciple. I can't um, wait to tell Blaine that. That's great. But the bottom line is next day planning has become crucial. So before I go to bed at the end of the night, I sit down and I write out what I'm going to be doing the next day. And the more detailed I am on that, usually the better I do. I've gotten away from a habit and I need to get back into it. I used to put what Blaine calls his frogs, you know, that one thing you don't want to eat in the morning, but put your frogs on the plate. And I used to put them on an index card and tape them to my computer monitor and remind myself to do those first before I do the other things. And that way it's just literally in my, it was in my face. I had to deal with them. I've gotten away from that, but I still write them down. They're in my daily to-do list on my next day planning. So next day planning is crucial. So I, it only takes... 15 minutes, but it just locks your brain in before you go to sleep that when you get up, it's this. So now the next day planning for me, and I was showing my wife this the other day, I started a, a physical uh, health regime a few years back and it's been four years as of November and I didn't realize that. And my morning routine, so when I do the next day planning, my morning routine is what time am I getting up? What time am I doing my cardio? What time am I doing my resistance training? and what time I have to leave. So I have to box all that in before I, I leave in the morning. And usually it's criminal, so I'm heading off to court for an 8.30 somewhere. And then I finally get back to the office to get to the work I gotta do. But it's just drilling in that morning routine the night before, so that when I wake up, I don't have to think about it, I just go into it. The night before uh, routine includes you know, getting my suit ready for the next day. It's things I don't have to, if I don't have to think about two things in the morning, great. And you know, what tie, what shirt, what, whatever, it's all picked out. It's all hanging on a rack. I just go shower and put it on and I'm out the door. So that's all part of just being organized. Some people may think that's crazy, but you know, there's, 
the system behind that is I don't have to think about things in the morning. I just get up and go. Um, I relate, man. I, we, have, we have four podcasts recording today and I need to have a different outfit for every one of them. And last night they were all laid out and they're right over there. Now I won't, you know, I guess I have to admit the fact that my East coast Italian bride, my ECIB Maria, she's the one who picked them out, but still they were picked out and they're ready. They're ready to rock and roll. And I didn't have to think about it this morning. So it's a huge benefit. And then a couple of years ago, Blaine introduced everyone in uh, your practice master to uh, Sean Aker's theory on happiness. And if anybody wants to look up Sean Aker on TED Talks, go for it. But um, my next day journal, uh, my next day um, planning turned into a daily journal. And with the daily journal, I follow Sean Aker's advice. I, I try and find the three good things that happened that day, not the bad things which most people, that's what they're going to journal about is what kind of crap happened to them during the day. I want to focus on the good things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, find those three, four or five things. And then with the random act of kindness that he also says you should be doing, I'm an attorney stuck in an office. It's kind of hard to do a random act of kindness every day. So what I jumped into was doing a motivational quote in a video for me. And then I realized, why am I doing it for me? I can just blast it out to everybody on my email list. So it's been two years and I've been doing a daily motivational quote in email and video in an email. And that goes out from Sunday night through Thursday night. So it hits everybody's desk on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday mornings. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's the way you start your day is with a positive quote and a video that is usually relatively short and you can just get through. And that's my random act of kindness. I might have some other things that happen during the day, but it's kind of interesting because I, I'm at a point where I'm looking, what can I do that's nice for somebody? Just, they don't even know about it. And you just become a more generous person, I guess. You're looking to do something and you're not waiting for the world to come to you. Did oh, you boy. tell me that your new health habits mean that you're doing a hundred burpees a day? Yeah, one of the videos I, as I'm searching for videos, I caught this very overweight lady and her burpee, her, uh, her title on the video was 30 burpees for 30 days. And you watch, and I said, if she's like that, I can do, I know I can do 30 for 30 days. <laughs> so I watch her do it and she's literally doing the push-ups from her knees. She has to bear walk into a standing position. She can't do the jump after the, you know, so it's not a standard burpee, but she's giving it her all based on her physical ability at the time. So great. YouTube picks up the algorithm and I'm watching videos on burpees now. And the next day I get two guys, one's in his late teens, early twenties, and the other guy's in his late twenties, both of them obviously very fit. And their goal was to do a hundred burpees for 30 days, hundred burpees a day for 30 days. And to put it in perspective, the older guy, he got 100 done on day 30. He did 107 minutes. Okay. Wow. Now, when I started my journey a couple of weeks ago, it took me the first two days, I couldn't get 100 out in one session. I just couldn't do it. No way. The third day, I got 100 out, took me 34 and a half minutes, I think it was. And on day 15, I got my 30 done, my 100 done in 19 minutes. Wow. So within two weeks, my cardio is really jacked up. Wow. And I'm getting there. A hundred burpees in 19 minutes. That's five burpees a minute. That's a hundred. And you're doing the full burpees with the full on squat, push up and jump. I mean, that's, yep. 
That, that's <laughs> I really want to get to the point where I can do a full squat when I do the jump. I'm not there yet. I mean, so <laughs> unfortunately, I've been down for a couple of days because I caught an upper respiratory thing, which means I got to start all over on day one again, which really sucks. So, but, I'll, <laughs> but I'm hoping to do that tomorrow. Well, well I mean, yep. Sorry, oh my God, I was going to say. I was going to say he can, we're hearing him, we're hearing Howard cough. I want to take it easy. And I feel bad. We're making him, we're, he, we got him on here while he's sick. And we, he's so dedicated to EA Nation and bringing this message to the people listening that he's, he even came on in, in spite of his coughing jag. So I'll let you take it from here, Michael. Yeah, no, I, and we appreciate it. And Howard, thank you for sharing those daily habits and really even the night before habits and super impressive on the burpees. I'm not a fan of burpees at all, but I understand the importance and value of them. <laughs> I've never done burpees for real in my life. I dreaded them, but in terms of getting myself in cardiovascular shape, that kicks my butt more than the elliptical, more yeah. than the interval yeah. training, more than the spin bike, more than any other tool that I've used. It's kicking my behind, and it's something I'm going to stay with moving forward. So that's, I love it. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't like them, but they do what they do. So. They do what they do. I, I did 10. I thought I was a hero. A hundred? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. You got to get 10 done in 50 seconds. That's where oh I'm at. <laughs> oh well, Howard, we, we like to kind of wrap things up with what's got you excited? What's got you fired up and excited today? Could be personal, could be business, whatever it is. I, I guess in my, it's still business. As you guys are aware, I merged my practice just in the last couple of months with uh, Stuart Law Group. And he wants me to come on in and really build out the criminal side of things. Got to wind down my leftover cases. Until then, I don't have the capacity to jump in with both feet over there. We're a few months away from doing that. Mm -hmm. But to know that he trusted me and Scott Stewart's part of your world too. But to know that Scott trusted me to do what needed to be done, that I understood how he operates his business because we're speaking the same language, it helps. And we're really excited to see where we're going to take the merge practices together in the next several years. Yeah, I tell you, that it's so hard for <clears throat> partnerships to work in general. But when you have two partners who are speaking the same language and have similar goals and understand how to read the tea leaves, per se, you know, there's no more judgment about why we're making a decision. We know why we're making the decisions we make. Yeah. And so it takes all that crap out of the way. And so I, I'm excited about where you guys are headed. I think it's a powerful team. Scott obviously has his strengths, as do you. And I, I think those strengths complement one another. And I think it's going to be a match made in heaven. Obviously, it's going to take a minute to get through the slog of what we left behind and to get that those two firms together. But I think as you start to hit your stride, I think you guys are going to have make some real magic happen. And because Scott's now in the building phase again, his daughters are older and he's ready to go again. So, so yeah, it, it, I think it's very, I, I agree with you. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for both of you. Yeah. Since both of you have been in my world from, you know, pretty early on. I mean, he's pretty much client number three. First one who decided to sign a contract on the golf course made me think I could play golf for a living. But, but yeah, he, he, I mean, so you guys have been around for a minute, so I'm excited for both of you. I think you're going to do great things together. Yeah. Absolutely. And we'll have to have both of you back on the show in a couple of years to talk about the successful journey. Totally. Uh, excited, totally, excited yeah. to listen. But, yeah. well, we are too. Probably equally as excited. But Howard, very much appreciate you taking some time to 
provide some value to everyone listening today and, and to the law firm owners listening. We appreciate you for taking your time and, and hope that this was valuable. We have the gentleman's agreement around here. So if this wasn't your first time listening or watching and you got some value, make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button, depending on where you're listening or watching. And then in the comments, show Howard some love. That's, uh, there was a lot of great things to be unpacked and discovered today. Just at the forefront, we took three things right off the bat. So a lot of very actionable insights, but we appreciate each of you for taking the time to listen and watch today. And again, Howard, we appreciate you. Hey guys, it was really nice of you to have me on board. I really hope I provided some insight on what can be done with your practice. And if anybody wants to reach out to me directly, they can do that. Just send me an email at howard at arizonalawgroup.com. Just spell it out, Howard at ArizonaLawGroup.com. Happy to address any questions that they might have. Thanks, Howard. Appreciate you. And by the way, for everybody who's listening, you, this probably is falling on the eve, maybe a week before-ish, depending on when this gets released. Hopefully it is. Maybe it's already happened, but you should check it out if it hasn't. We've launched our Justice for Joy event, and that's where we're partnering with St. Jude. Michael and I have decided to donate our time as long as you donate your dollars to St. Jude, and we're going to help you launch into 2024. So for more details about that, the link will be in the description, whether it hasn't happened yet or it's about to happen, go ahead and check on that uh, video and you'll be able to learn more about Justice for Joy. We think it's a great program. We're excited about it.